Hello, hello. Hey up, what's up, what's good? Welcome to the Any Given Runway Show. I'm your host, Randall Carlton Green. Any Given Runway celebrates the exploration of new cultures by highlighting some of the most artistic, athletic, tenacious, basically unique and interesting people in the world. Everyone has a story, each person a scholar. Welcome to season three. As we continue to seek out some of the most unforgettable humans, some of the most memorable stories, in the first two seasons, the show featured guests from over 60 different countries and will continue down that path because it is imperative that we cherish the differences. And we can only do that by getting out and journeying into unknown frontiers, whether it be physically or simply through conversation, sharing lovely experiences and saluting the tenacious and resilient guests. We have an excellent, excellent show for today with a terrific guest, co-captain of the U.S. men's national wheelchair basketball team, Steve Sirio joins the show. Steve is one of the greatest basketball players to ever put on a Team USA jersey. He's a four-time Paralympian and three-time medalist, one bronze and two golds, one each at the last two games in Tokyo and in Rio. The New York City native began playing wheelchair basketball as a sophomore in high school and went on to play college ball at the University of Illinois, Urbana-Champaign. On top of that, Steve has played professionally in Germany. This was a fantastic conversation and we were incredibly lucky to have Steve on the show. On today's episode, Steve chats about his first introduction to basketball, and he reminisces on his college years in Illinois. Steve also talks about the disappointment of finishing fourth at the 2008 Games in Beijing, but how he used that experience as motivation to amplify his drive when he returned back to the Games. Steve also reflects on the last couple years and how he handled all of the uncertainty and doubt that came with cancellation and postponement of events, including the Paralympic Games in Tokyo. And lastly, we had to talk about books, of course, and he mentions his fondness for one particular popular series. I gotta tell you, Steve is made for a broadcasting career. He nailed all the questions. He provides tremendous insight into his life, into basketball, and he's also charismatic as heck while doing it. Thrilled for everyone to meet him. So let's go ahead and bring on co-captain of the U.S. men's national wheelchair basketball team, four-time Paralympian, and two-time gold medalist, Steve Serio. Now let's learn. Hey, Randall, how you doing, brother? I read that you started playing competitive basketball as a sophomore. Was basketball always your first love? Or were there some other sports that you participated in as well? Yeah, so to provide a little bit of background, uh, my name is Steve Serio. I am the co-captain of the men's wheelchair basketball team for Team USA. I was actually born with a benign spinal tumor that went undiagnosed for the first 11 months of my life. And during that time, the tumor became infected and inflamed and crushed my spinal cord, resulting in the incomplete paralysis of my lower extremity. So living with a disability, it's all I know. It's, it's, it's all I remember. I was always an athlete, though. Growing up, I played able body sports. Uh, I did not play basketball growing up. I was a really, really big baseball player. And I can see that you're wearing a White Sox hat right now. Um, I'm a huge Yankees fan. So uh, I always envisioned myself to be on the Yankees. And it wasn't until I found wheelchair basketball at the age of 15, like you said, where uh, I fell in love with the game of basketball and specifically wheelchair basketball. And I tell people, uh, since I was 15, I haven't left the gym since. Fantastic. Who was your guy on the Yankees growing up? So my favorite baseball player of all time is Don Mattingly. Uh, one of the guys who never got a chance to win a, a World Series, but and then it obviously transitions into Jeter. I'm, I'm a Jeter lifer, and uh, that guy can do no wrong. So, um, yeah, I've got a chance to watch a, a number of really talented baseball players growing up, but those two are the ones that stick out. Now you had a successful career at the University of Illinois, Urbana-Champaign. When you think back to those years, what are the first memories that come to mind? Chaos. 
Um, it's college right there. Yeah. I was going to say, I think college is a learning experience in all walks and phases of life for everybody who attends on one side, you know, I was, I was learning how to become uh, a student and an athlete there have, that was like the first time where I learned how to live a high performance lifestyle where every decision that you make goes into how you're going to train that day or the next day, how you're going to prepare for an exam, how you're going to improve your communication skills, but then it's college. So it's just filled with bad decisions and learning how to be um, who you truly are as a person and meeting new people. And uh, it was just a chaotic couple of years, but everybody kind of has to go through it to go through that discovery process and that change period. It it always might be a little messy, but it's always worthwhile. I think we have this in common. I read that you're a kinesiology major. Yes, sir. I graduated with a degree in exercise science and gerontology. The kinesi department at U of I focused around special populations. So instead of looking at exercise as a sports performance side of things, we looked at it as in terms of rehabilitation. So working with people with heart disease, who, people who are obese, people with osteoporosis, how do you exercise with them in a safe and effective way uh, to benefit their quality of life? And it was a different side of exercise that I really enjoyed learning about because my whole world was about performance and how I can use exercise to benefit my wheelchair basketball life. But um, this was a different way of looking at it and I really enjoyed it. Is there any things that you learned about your own life that you picked up from college from the lessons? You know, I wish I, uh, still to this day, I wish I would have focused more on stretching and Mm. getting into like the recovery mode because while I was in school, right, you're in your early 20s and there's nothing that you can't do and train the next day. Now that I'm 20 years into my Team USA career, um, I'm, I focus a little bit more on wellness and recovery and just making sure that my body is ready to perform uh, at the best of its abilities because I, I don't recover the way that I used to. Um, and honestly, the thing that I, I picked up on a couple of years ago, especially during COVID, was the mental side of things, yeah. how important your mental health and how important um, your visualization techniques and your breathing techniques and how important that is to lean on in extremely difficult and stressful moments, not only in your everyday life, something like COVID has touched all of us, but in high performance as well. For your mental performance, is it a set routine that is the same for every game or does that differ depending on the scenario? So I do have a pregame ritual, um, but use, but really during COVID, my, my mental uh, work that I do every morning transitioned from like a visualization technique from sports performance to more of a breathing, stay present, focus on the things that you can control exercise. And I think that that not only has that directly helped me in wheelchair basketball in my profession, but it's helped me in my quality of life and the connections that I've made along the way. It's really important to, for me to stay present and take advantage of every moment rather than working towards, you know, this one moment, four years, five years, 10 years down the line, which like every Olympian and Paralympian seems to do. You said a sentence earlier that is still sticking with me. 20 years with Team USA. I think you've been a part for Paralympic Games. How do they, all the games compare when you look back at it? Oftentimes, I talk to athletes, the first time they go to a games, it's a lot of chaos, and it's hard to maybe appreciate, hard to really have as much fun as you want. So how do the four different games compare for you? Sure. The four, different, uh, the four Paralympic games that I competed in, London, uh, Beijing in 08, London 2012, Rio 16, and Tokyo in 2021. Not only are they four completely different places and yeah. cultures and people in this world, but I, I'm at a completely different stage of my life too during all those games 20 years yeah. so in, 
Yeah, in Beijing in 2008, not only was I a college kid, but it was my first uh, Team USA Paralympic Games. I wanted to, I wanted to visit every sport and cheer on my my athletes. I wanted to meet everybody in the dining hall. I just wanted to take in the experience as much as humanly possible. In actuality, I probably should have been more focused on the sport because we finished fourth. I highly recommend to all of your listeners that if you get a chance to compete in the Olympic or Paralympic Games, do not finish fourth. That was an extremely difficult time, and to work your entire life basically for a forty-minute game and to basically come home empty-handed felt was pretty devastating. But it was a, an incredible springboard moment for me as a Team USA athlete. I knew that it was difficult to not have the finish that we wanted, but I knew that it was something that brought me a lot of happiness and that I wanted to do full time. Fast forward four years to London. London is one of my favorite cities on planet Earth. And it was an easy trip for my family to come out there. And in actuality, it wasn't the ultimate goal, but we won a bronze medal, which again, it it wasn't why we were there, but it was important to know that the steps and the things that we were doing as a team were leading in the right direction. And then finally, fast forward four more years to Rio in 2016, we were as locked in as any team I've ever been on. We were talented. We were strong mentally because of all the experiences that we had leading up to it. And it's widely regarded as one of the best men's Paralympic basketball teams of all time. We brought home our first gold medal as a country since 1988. And it was the first time in basketball history where all four basketball teams, the men's and women's on the able body side on the Olympic Games, and the men's and women's on the wheelchair side in the Paralympic Games all brought home a gold medal simultaneously. So to be a part of a basketball moment like that, um, it's truly special. And then finally, fast forward another five years, basically, to Tokyo in the midst of COVID and everything that was going on to be able to repeat as gold medalists. Um, it wasn't the most fun experience ever. Uh, there was a lot of uh, COVID restrictions, and it was a much different experience than what I've had in the Paralympics before. But it still meant everything to not only be successful, but to share that moment with an incredible group of teammates and coaches and staff. And it ne- never hurts to win. So um, it, it definitely put an exclamation point on a, on a crazy, crazy couple of years. Did your routine change in any way with the empty gyms in Tokyo? Honestly, it was something that you kind of had to get used to because not only could you hear everything that was going on in the court, but you could hear the benches on the sidelines. You can hear just uh, random noises because the gym was so incredibly empty and quiet. It, it took a little bit of getting used to, but... Once you're there and you and you do it once or twice, you you kind of get you kind of get used to it. And now for me, playing in front of a crowd, it actually took a couple of games under my belt to get used to that because it's such a different environment. Yeah, I've read that even depth perception shooting can be difficult when there are no fans behind. Depth perception, um, how you hear the whistles uh, for the referees would always change. We had uh, different stop, different time stoppages because they're you know like halftime was shorter because they didn't really need uh, enough time for the crowd to deal with concessions and stuff like that. So there were a lot of those in between moments that you needed to get used to. But once you step out onto the court, the game is the same. And once you kind of get through that uh, transition, it was just basketball like any other day. Previous guest James Carter, two-time Olympian, finished fourth twice. And you joke that you wouldn't recommend finishing fourth to anybody. But I got a feeling, though. I got a feeling that these gold medals, they don't happen without that fourth place finish. Uh, Anybody who's heard my story before knows that I truly believe 
um, that you become the best version of yourself during the most difficult moments, whether that's in life or whether that's in sports. Um, I wouldn't be a two-time gold medalist as a Team USA athlete without that fourth place finish and without that bronze medal finish. It not only taught me how to win, but it taught me how to become a better player, a better person, a better leader, and a better teammate. In my own life, I wouldn't be where I am today without acquiring my disability really early on in life. A lot of people look at me and feel sorry for me because I have a disability. And I always try to remind them that not only is just one small part of the person who I am, but it's given me everything that I have. It's allowed me to be the athlete that I was always meant to be. And don't feel sorry for me because I have a disability. Just always try to see the best in everybody that you come across. Um, I always get asked if there was some magic pill that I could take and become an able-bodied athlete, or I could, you know, get rid of all of my insecurities that I have because of my disability. And I would always say, no, it's the form of my strength. And I know that, um, those fourth place finishes and those, those difficult moments are what made me, uh, or, or what made me the athlete and the person I am today. What a, what a fantastic answer. Before we move on from the Paralympic Games, I got to know a little more about the cities. So of those four cities, which one has the best food? So I've been to Tokyo a number of times. So we didn't get a chance to partake in the food and the culture and the people this time. But Tokyo, by far, has the best food. It's really not even close. Um, Rio was the most fun because that, that those people, not only are they beautiful, but that culture lives in so much energy. Like everything that they do is to the extreme. And I can give you an example. We played Brazil in the very first game in the Rio Paralympic Games. And we've got a chance to play the host country in, in every games that we played. But uh, I remember we opened up against them and Brazil's not, they're a talented team, but they're not the best team. So we jumped out to them with a, with a pretty big uh, start to the game. And I remember, I think we were up like 14 or 16 points in the first quarter. And then when they made their first basket, the arena erupted and erupted to the point where I like had to like stop in the middle of the game and be like, whoa, that was a crazy moment. So that was the thing that sticks into my mind about, about Rio. Um, so Tokyo has the best food. Rio was the most fun. I personally love London. Um, so that, that was a really cool experience just to be in that city that reminds me so much of New York. Um, yeah, that, that's what comes to mind. Yeah. When you're in London, what, what were some of the sites that, that still stick with you? Well, we got a chance to, me and my father who, who came, we got a chance to see our first, um, what's, that, what's that sport, that, that cricket? We got a chance okay. to see okay. our first cricket game. Okay. Um, and in like one of their most famous arenas and just, it was just such a strange game. I still don't know how it's played to this day, but they take tea times in between, in between innings and there's a weird breaks. And honestly, I still don't understand it, but it was cool to, to be there and just take it, take it all in. Obviously, um, Piccadilly Circus and all of like the sightseeing spots we got a chance to go to. Um, but honestly, just to be there, just to feel the energy and the liveliness of the city, um, it's just one of my favorite places to be. Very cool. Now, professionally, you played in, in Germany. I'm curious, what was the hardest part of, of just moving there? So I remember uh, getting a chance to play professionally for a club team, like you said, in Germany. And I had never been to Germany. I didn't know the language. I had no idea of the culture. And to be honest, I just thought to, of 
like how harshness the language is like the language is very so much. disgusting and i thought that that translated to the people mm -hmm. and i was so excited to go play professionally i never really asked myself is this something i really want to do or is this something i should do so i remember flying over uh on the plane to the very first time i was moving there and just feeling like did i just make the biggest mistake of my life like what am i doing where am i going on, in, in actuality, it was one of the most positive experiences I've, I've ever had. The language and the harshness of it could not be further from the culture and how warm and opening and giving that, that group of people are. And it was an experience where I signed my first contract and it was an eight month contract and I stayed for six years because I had such a great experience. The club team that I played for called RSV Londil they welcomed me with open arms. The community welcomed me. And I just got a chance to not only learn a new language in my early 20s, but to experience a brand new culture. And I'm just so happy I grew as a person so much because of that experience. I was in Germany last month. The language harshness is still there. And, and I can never get over just the, the spelling of words and even from airports. It's a long word and baggage claim, all these long words. Did you have any yeah. cultural moments, culture shock moments back home where you were texting friends like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this happened? So every time, anytime I came home from Germany, one thing that they don't have is they don't have air conditioning. Yeah. So they, they really believe that, you know, if it's cold outside, you put on a sweater. Yeah. If it's warm outside, you open a window. So now every time I step into a movie theater or a restaurant, the first thing that pops in my head is, man, it's really cold in here just because I'm just not, I'm not really used to it anymore. Mm -hmm. um, and to be honest, it's still, uh, I still miss the fact that beer is cheaper than water in Germany. <laughs> and I, I, I still miss that to this day. But um, yeah, I just, I can't thank um, the people and the experiences that I had enough for uh, all the good times and memories in Germany. Did you get an authentic Oktoberfest experience? And if so, what city? So every city has their version of Oktoberfest. Yeah. I had never been to the, the Times Square version, the one in Munich. Okay. Um, but we had one in, in the town I was living in called Gießen. And it was you know just as good, just without all the tourists. And every championship that you win in Germany, you get this three liter huge bottle Stein. And I got a chance to bring one of it back to, to the States. And honestly, it's the first thing that people comment on when they come into my apartment. They see this huge three liter uh, German mug. And um, yeah, I'm just, uh, I, I just love that thing. I've, I haven't drank out of it in a really long time, but um, it's definitely one of those cool memories that I'll always remember. I did go to the one in Munich and it was very chaotic. Glad I went. Not sure if I'll go back there specifically. I'd rather do one of the smaller ones. Uh, it was definitely an unforgettable night. Your career is just amazing. A successful college career, professional, four different Paralympic Games. As you look back on your career thus far, what makes you the most proud? The most proud? That's a good question. So I think just the types of people, the, the amazing teammates and the amazing staff that I've got a chance to work with over the years, not only um, you know, did they help me and the team, you know, accomplish our dreams and and win a few gold medals but the moments that you share with people along the along the journey are the things that you remember mm -hmm. i can tell you that i don't i actually don't remember much from that gold medal game in in rio the first gold medal that we won i mean i've seen it a few times but i i can't really tell you like these flashbulb moments that i have from the game what i do remember is standing on top of the podium 
uh, and, you know, seeing our flag just raise just a little bit higher than everybody else's. And during the national anthem, just looking to my left and looking to my right and sharing that moment with that, with those groups of people um, from the teammates and the staff that we had, that's the moment that always sticks with me. So I think the thing I'm most proud of are just building those connections, sharing those memories with uh, an incredible group of people that um, just made it so much, so, so incredibly memorable. Do you favor one gold medal over the other? Does they have a higher wow. spot in your house? Is it the one that, you know, maybe you carry around more often or? Wow. So uh, Rio, but, but the first one, that's always going to be yeah. uh, a special place in my heart. The Tokyo actual medal is heavier. It's more substantial than, than the Rio one. Um, and that's the one that people always gravitate towards as like a, wow, get a chance to hold the gold medal. Mm -hmm. So um, I, think, I think it's probably the Tokyo one. Um, I, even though Rio was the first and that will always have a special place, Tokyo in the midst of everything and the fact that we got such a, such a beautiful um, piece of hardware to bring back to us, I, I just feel like that one's probably got to be my answer. The Tom Brady approach, the next one. Next one's the best one. I, I love it. I don't even know if there's going to be a next one, so I can't say that. Tom Brady seems to be want to play forever, but um, yeah, for sure. Last couple of years have been incredibly challenging for the entire world, but especially for you as an athlete with the, all the uncertainty that came about. You were planning for an event that may or may not happen. It gets delayed. It gets postponed. Just so much doubt, so much uncertainty. What do you feel is the biggest life lesson you picked up from the last two years? Yeah, like you said, as a high-performance athlete, I am very well-equipped to deal with success. I'm also very well-equipped well to deal with failure and learning from that failure and reevaluating things and getting better from them. I am not very well-equipped to deal with uncertainty. And like you said, if there's one word that can wrap up the last couple of years of everyone's life, it's been uncertainty. You know, I think that I lean a lot on my mental training. And the thing, the life lesson that I've taken over the last couple of years is to live in the moment. Mm -hmm. be as present as humanly possible because you never know what direction life will take you. You'll never know um, who you'll meet that day. And consequently, you'll never know if we all have to go into lockdowns and become little hermit versions of ourselves mm -hmm. and, and binge watching uh, Netflix shows. So the thing I always remind myself every morning during my mental training exercises, but uh, I really carry it with me every day is to take advantage of every moment and live in this present as much as humanly possible. You mentioned binging shows. What was the show that you binged and were there any other hobbies or anything new that you picked up? So you mean during the, during the pandemic? Yeah, yeah, yeah. During, during your extra time that you had. Okay. Yeah, that's a good question. So everybody watched Tiger King, right? Like that was the thing that... Isn't that the one that kicked off the whole thing? Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. So I binge watched The Office from start to finish. Okay. The Office is just one of those shows that it seems like you've seen every episode, but just never in order. So I remember binge watching The Office, which, you know, that, that took, uh, you know, I guess during COVID, it only took a couple of days. <laughs> but, um, you know, any other shows? To be honest, um, I'm a big reader. Ah, so that was my next I, question. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I spent um, a lot of time kind of catching up on, on my reading and just making time for things that I, you know, always made excuses for in the beginning. So this is super embarrassing, but I reread Harry Potter and not I, embarrassing I do feel at all. like not embarrassing that's okay, cool. So I definitely did that. And that took up a good portion of my time. Uh, I tried to read as much. Um, I tried to read as many things about social media as possible. And I can't remember the artist, but 
she was, I think she was a New York, uh, a New York Times author where um, she commented on the ways that social media was impacting all of our lives. And we are so much in front of screens these days that I just thought it was really interesting to understand at a very high level how it shapes our culture, how it shapes our interactions, and how it shapes our thoughts these days for, for positive and negative. Um, you know, I am not a, the biggest fan of social media, but I try to, if I try to use it as a tool to better myself and to spread the message and the impact about adaptive sports, I feel like it's a tool that can be used for good. Um, so it was just types of those things where um, even though I'm stuck inside, I really didn't want to just sit mindlessly in front of the TV. I, I, I wanted to continuously learn and to try to get better. Well, which house, which Harry Potter house are you a member of? Uh, just to be honest with you, I, I would hope to say Gryffindor, but okay. um, I haven't taken that online test in quite a while. Um, and now that I've uh, reread it, I, I feel like I, I want to take that test again, to be honest. But um, yeah, I, I hope I'm in the Gryffindor house, but I, I guess I can't tell you for sure. Tested in the Ravenclaw, but part of me wants to be Slytherin. I'm just going to say, I, I kind of want, you know. Hey, hey, no shade. I'm right yeah. there with you. So I get that. You know, a lot of the guests on the show during the pandemic, they're, they're always faced with these, this rumor that New York is dead. And just because maybe the streets were less full than they normally are, and it's far from dead. What makes you the most proud to be from New York and to, and to claim and to call in New York as your hometown? What makes you the most proud? So living in New York is not for everyone. I will say that right then and then. Um, the energy, the liveliness, and just the fact that there's something going on at every waking moment. Um, the city that never sleeps, it's my favorite part about being here. And I feel like that energy is so incredibly contagious and pushes you to work harder and harder. Like you said, um, during the pandemic, it was pretty much a ghost town and COVID hit us really, really hard. Mm -hmm. The thing that I love about New York though is our resiliency. Everybody seems to be really mean, but I promise that we're not mean. We're just, we just have somewhere to go. So <laughs> when, when, when people are walking really fast on the, on the sidewalk, and, and they're not trying to be mean. They just, they just have something to do. Um, and, and, you know, during 9-11, during all the difficult moments that New Yorkers have faced, uh, we always tend to bounce back and we bounce back better. So now, you know, now that COVID seems to be in the rear view, although there's always going to be random spikes here and there. Um, I feel like New York is back and is better than ever. We, um, they, we kept all the outdoor seating locations, which makes eating at restaurants really, really fun. I can tell you that we'll never take for granted another museum exhibit or another Broadway show because we just think that it could go away in a moment's notice. So I just think that the appreciation of what makes this city great is back and, and alive and better than ever. And it's one of the reasons why I love being here. Well said. You have definitely a career in broadcasting, I think, in the future because you have nailed every single answer. This has been awesome. What's next? What do you got coming up? And is a fifth games in your future as well? Yeah, right now I'm enjoying a little bit of a break from competing in Team USA. Tokyo was uh, a physical and mental grind for me personally, and I felt like I needed to take a step back mm -hmm. uh, from actually competing. So I'm still playing recreationally. I'm still playing for fun. Um, but now it's not uh, directly uh, related to Team USA. To be honest, what's next? Um, I I've had a number of different events where I get a chance to share my experiences with wheelchair basketball. 
I tell people that the impact that I can have off the court is tremendously more important than the impact that I can have on it at this point. Mm -hmm. And I want to continuously spread the word about adaptive sports and wheelchair basketball and create as many opportunities for people, especially kids with disabilities as humanly possible. Growing up, I uh, grew up before the age of social media, which is embarrassing to say out loud, but it really was. And growing up, I didn't have adaptive sports athletes that I could look to. And um, through the power of social media and using platforms like yours and using other platforms like my sponsors and Team USA, hopefully we can create um, a good, be a good role model for the next generation of adaptive sports athletes to dream bigger than what that we were able to growing up. So uh, what's next? I don't exactly know. We'll re we will reevaluate things leading into Paris. Um, I, I would like to try at Paris, but um, it's not just something that you can kind of show up and do. Um, so we'll see what happens and how the team evolves over the next year or two. But um, the fact that I don't exactly know what's next is pretty refreshing. And I'm just trying to lean into that and live every moment. Well, I like your point on representation. It, it matters. We didn't have all these opportunities that are now that are visual that you can see and just inspiring others. Have you been to Paris yet? I have been to Paris. Okay. I okay. actually com okay. yeah, I competed there in 2009 for an under 23 uh, Team USA team that I was a part of and we won gold. So we've had some success there. And uh, yeah, if, if I um, decide to go back, I, I really hope to replicate that success. Okay, because I was gonna say, if you haven't been, that's one reason why you have to make sure to go for a fifth games because you've got to go back to Paris. Absolutely. <laughs> playoffs start, NBA playoffs start technically tomorrow with the play-in game. Put you on the spot, prediction. NBA finals is who? Well, you're talking to a struggling Knicks fan. So uh, I can tell you that um, I don't know how much I'll be tuned into the playoffs. But um, if I had to pick right now, honestly, I think a repeat. I think Phoenix is by far the best regular season team that I've seen this year. And Milwaukee, uh, while they've been dealing with injuries the whole, the whole year, I just feel like they're firing on all cylinders um, at the right time. So um, I would definitely go in a repeat. And if I had to make a prediction, I'm going to pick Phoenix. And Chris Paul gets his first championship. And one of the best NBA players of all time finally gets, gets a ring. I think mine's the exact same. I think mine's the exact same, um, but it is going to be interesting, especially with Clippers getting guys back. Luca, little injury, he might be out for some time. So it's, I think this is a, a very going to be very entertaining and in playoffs. Before you leave, go ahead and shout out your your social media name so people can give you a follow. Yeah. So if anybody wants to follow my journey further, uh, I'm Steve Serio 11 on Instagram. I don't do Twitter because it just feels like it's too toxic and nobody really cares about what I'm feeling about my dinner. But, um, and, and Steve Serial on Facebook, uh, I definitely recommend, I definitely hope that people will, will check out the, the channels and follow along my journey. Why'd you choose 11? So uh, growing up, uh, my initials are SS, Steve mm -hmm. Serial. Um, I was 22 at my very first team just randomly. And I just thought that was some, uh, some cool symmetry between 22 as SS backwards. And uh, on, when I started on Team USA, uh, you can only be numbers between four and 15, I think, yeah. uh, when you play in that internationally. Now it's changed that you can be any number, but I randomly got number 11, which I, again, thought it was a little symmetry between the 22 and the SS, and I just thought it was uh, kind of all connected. So um, that's, that's what it uh, became, and it's been my number ever since. You know, we're always so tied to our numbers, so I was curious on that. But uh, totally. fantastic, man. This was, uh, this was awesome, awesome. You have an incredible personality.
a lot of success on the court. I know I could chat with you for a long time. I love what you're doing and a big fan out here in Arizona. Other than your agents, number one, I'll be the number two fan. Hey, I really hope you guys get that championship. Um, if, if they do view it, I kind of want to come to the parade and check out the energy of that city because that, be, that would be so awesome. Um, but hey, you, get, you made it really easy on me and really fun today. So thank, thank you for that. And thank you for your flexibility. You're the best, man. This was awesome. This was awesome. Cool. Indebted. You're, you're great. I hope we chat again, but thank you so much for today. Yeah. Thanks for your professionalism, man. I appreciate you. All right. See you, Steve. Be good. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Much appreciation to my man, Steve. Give him a follow on Instagram, SteveSerio11. Everyone has a story. Each person a scholar. Thank you for listening. Fill up that passport. I'll see you on the road. Aviento. Aviento.